two weeks ago because we didn't meet last week. Pastor Mel spoke to us on the importance and the value of the Word of God. He called it God's Owner Manual. And we looked at 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, which we will look at again briefly this morning. But the idea of that lesson was the value of the Word of God, how important it is. The fact that it's God-breathed, the fact that it's profitable for so many different things in our life and soul. And so that was a really important study as we begin and finish this series on how to study the Bible. Because today we're going to look at the specifics of how to study the Bible, what it looks like, get a little bit bit more hands-on. But as we'll look at here in a little bit, we have to value the Word of God or the rest is not going to matter. If we don't value the Word of God, even the how-to will not matter. So we will get to that in a little bit. But I want to ask you a question. Did you ever have to learn something you once didn't know? I know that's a silly question. Of course you have. But think of a story, think of an idea in your mind that you had to learn something you once didn't know. It's football season, right? We're in the Super Bowl system series here, and the next week the Patriots are going to play the Rams. Sorry, Lisa. She's a Saints fan. Uh, Sorry, Eagles fans too, but... Uh, I'm a Patriots fan. But there was a time in my life that I watched football to some degree, but I didn't understand it. And maybe for those of you who have tried to watch football or have watched football, as you begin to watch football, it's a little bit confusing. See, in my household, my dad was a very big basketball fan. So we watched basketball, also baseball. Baseball, he's a big baseball fan. But we didn't watch a lot of NFL. But we would watch the occasional game, and I would hear them you know, use language like line of scrimmage encroachment, intentional grounding. Uh, I'd even hear players' positions like quarterback and tight end and going, why did they name it that way? Why is the quarterback not called game manager? Because that's what he does, right? Where did they get the term quarterback? Uh, The guy would line up for three points and kick what was called a field goal. No idea where that came from. So I'd be watching the NFL going, being very confused by these terms and very confused by the game of football. But the more I watched it, the more you understand what they are talking about. Does anybody want to jump out and say they know what the line of scrimmage is? Yeah, what's the line of scrimmage, Carol? You started from the beginning of the play. Okay, very good. So where the play begins is the line of scrimmage. So you can either go ahead of that or you can be sacked and be tackled behind the line of scrimmage. That's exactly right, the line of scrimmage. What about encroachment? Anyone know what that word means? Encroachment. Nobody knows? Go ahead, Dave. On the spot. Okay. Encroachment is kind of looking at the line of scrimmage the other way. If you jump over the line of scrimmage before the play begins, they call that encroachment. So I'm teaching you about football here today. But my point is that football was very confusing to me when I first started to watch it. But as I asked and as I learned what the terms mean and what the game was doing, I began to love the game of football. And now I'm a big fan of football. In fact, I think it's the best sport. But (laughs) here's another personal example of something I had to learn that I didn't expect would be so complicated. Parenting. Unfortunately, I was one of those guys who, before I had children, was judgmental toward parents, going, really? Why are you having such a difficult time? What's with all the stress and anger? When I have kids, I'm going to knock it out of the park. It's going to be so easy. Why are you guys so stressed about having children? I don't get it. They're just kids. And then I had kids. And then I had kids. Something that doesn't seem like it would be so hard. Sleep routine. I mean, people know how to sleep. You lay them down, they go to bed. No, no, they don't. And when, when they do, they don't stay asleep for some reason. Uh, kids just, they're like possums. They're nocturnal when they're, when they're born. <laughs> 
So we had our first son. We decided, you know, we, we should have a sleep routine. We should have something that we do every single time. We put him to sleep. So we began the sleep routine. We'd rock him in the gliding chair, the rocking chair. We'd have soft music. You know, we'd have his blanket. And honestly, that routine took about an hour, didn't it, Janine? It took a long time. Because once we finally got Haddon to sleep, we would pick up Haddon and seek to put him in his crib. And what would happen when we did that? He'd wake up. And then we'd start the process all over again. Because we were morons. We didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> and we will say that today. We just had no experience. But you know what happened? God gave us two babies at once after Haddon. And he took away the luxury of having what was called a sleep routine. So you know what we did from that moment on? We laid the kids down and we walked away. And they had to fall asleep. <laughs> and honestly, it worked a lot better. <laughs> they finally got with the program. We were able to have actually a marriage. So that was a good <laughs> That was a good thing. And then came diapers. Actually, diapers probably came before that, of course. But diapers, right? Diapers, I, they don't seem that complicated. Of course, you don't want to mess with what's inside the diaper. But putting on a diaper, how hard could it be? I remember, I don't know, I, putting on a diaper for me was kind of like wrapping a present for Christmas, which I'm really bad at. Uh, sometimes I just, I, I, it was too baggy. And Janine's like, yeah, that's not going to stay in. Uh, or I'd put it on backwards or upside down. And of course, I didn't even want to deal with what was inside the diaper. I let Janine handle that one mostly, but diapers were another thing. Another thing we had to learn was swaddling. Swaddling, I guess, is pretty important to babies sleeping. But it is. It's basically like wrapping them up like a Christmas present. And you have to take the blanket and do it a certain way, and they have to be nice and tight so they feel like they're being held all night long or something like that. And I remember being very bad at that. In fact, I think I asked Janine, we got to practice this. we got to practice this. <laughs> So she had to show me the swaddling technique because I had no idea of what that was. Eating was another difficult one. Eating, you know, once they got past the nursing stage, it was time to introduce foods to them. And I remember Haddon liking one of every 16 foods we gave him. So that was a very difficult process. In fact, it still is. We were still struggling with eating. Um, here's another one. We basically had to just chill out. As parents, you are very stressed. You don't want to make any mistakes. So everything is very stressful. And I remember that being a very stressful time, not sleeping well, being frustrated with each other in the situation. And we had to learn how to chill out a little bit. Chill out. Don't go too chill. You got to take care of the kid. But chill out to some degree. Another one was saying no. Learning how to say no is always a difficult thing for parents, right? Because children don't like to hear no. They want to do whatever they want to do. And I was going to share one more, but I'm going to spare you that story because it's kind of gross. Projectile body fluids. I'm not going to go there. You get the idea, right? As a new parent, you had to learn how to be, be a parent. And I thought that was going to come naturally to me as a father, but it didn't. I had to learn. I had to grow. What we're going to do today is talk about how to study the Bible. And I think this is a really important thing to talk about. Yes, we're not going to go through a book today. We're going to go principle by principle about how to study the Word of God. Because you remember the old adage, right? If you give someone a fish... You feed them for a day. And if you teach them how to fish, what's the rest of it? No one's ever heard that. You feed them for a lifetime. Yes. So what we're going to do today, by God's grace, is teach you all how to study the Bible. And I'd want to say up front, I'm not the expert, okay? This is not the only method. This is not the best principles. These are things I've used over the course of 10 plus years in my ministry to have confidence to learn how to study the Bible. And people had to teach me as well. But we're going to look at 10 principles on how to study the Bible today. But before I do that, I want to look at some goals. Can we put the goals on the screen there? The goals are this. 
like I said before, we need to highly value the Word of God. If we don't value the Word of God, then teaching you how to study the Bible is moot. It doesn't matter. So the first goal we have today is to actually teach you how to study, or excuse me, how to value the Word of God. Next is to gain confidence. We went through an entire book, 1 John. It was all about getting confidence, right? Well, I want you all, myself included, to have confidence to go to the Word of God because I think that is at an all-time low. At least it is with college students. Nobody has the confidence to go to the Scriptures and to learn by themselves from God's Word. And I want to be able to instill confidence in each one of you. So that's our second goal. Our third goal is to discipline ourselves. To discipline ourselves, to gain nourishment daily from the Word of God. And that's why I asked Pastor Mel to read John chapter 6, because Jesus used some interesting language there in John 6, didn't he? Talking about the bread of life, I want you to eat my flesh and drink my blood. But as I've looked at what Jesus means there, Jesus is basically saying, you have to listen to me. You have to learn from me. You have to sit before me. You have to nourish yourselves with my words. And so I want us to all find the discipline it takes to nourish ourselves with the Word of God. And then our last goal today is to strive to obey what we learn from the Word of God, because that's the whole point. The whole point in how to study the Bible is to actually do what it says, because we need to follow Jesus and not just store up head knowledge. So today, although it's going to be some information, I don't want it to be just head knowledge. I want it to be very practical. I want you to be able to take this today and say, yes, I can use that, and I'm going to learn, and then I'm going to seek and strive to obey what I've learned. And we're going to circle back to that. But I'm going to look at 10 disciplines, and hopefully we can go through this quickly enough, but not too quickly. 10 disciplines that I believe are very helpful in studying the Word of God. And I hope they're right on your bulletin, so you should be able to just fill in these terms here. But let's look at the first one. The first one I've already mentioned. Highly value the Word of God. Highly value the Word of God. I want to stress that. And I want to stress the phrase, the Word of God. Because although we're calling this how to study the Bible, the Bible is simply a glorified term for book. The Word of God is much different than that, isn't it? The Word of God is exactly what it mentions. It is God's Word, God's mind, God's heart coming through the language of Scripture. I said this to someone the other day. What if God was going to tell us that on a certain day he was going to write a message in the sky for us? And that message was going to be incredibly important. We had to pay attention to this message. He was going to give us the time, the date, the place to look. He was going to make sure the sky was crystal clear so we could see this message because this message was incredibly crucial for us to know. Wouldn't we pay attention? Wouldn't we pay attention to that message? Well, here before us, we have 66 books of God's important messages. And he wants us to value that word of God. And I think that's where we need to start today, is do we value the word of God? Lumping the word of God along with anything else is actually devaluing the word of God. If you say today the word of God is important, like relationships are important, or my hobbies are important, you're actually devaluing the Word of God because the Word of God is the most important thing that we've been given by God as a tool for how to grow. But we know what it's like to value things, right? Does anyone value food? Anyone value eating? I do. 
right? Anyone value eating ever, ever, ever gone without food for a certain amount of time? You get hungry, right? Or someone, we've actually used this word today called hangry. You're so hungry, you're angry that you're hungry. <laughs> we value food, right? We know what it's like to have to eat or need to eat or want to eat because food helps us. It sustains us. It gives us energy. My dad has been sick recently, as you know, so I've been talking to him about all the things he's been going through, and I've realized how important, through my dad, and much more you so, how important it is to breathe, how important it is to get oxygen into your lungs, right? I watched a documentary the other day about a guy who was trapped in an avalanche. And the first thing you face when you're trapped in an avalanche, besides the fear and the claustrophobia, is the lack of air. Air is not getting into your lungs like it once did. And for the first time, this, this man said, I valued air. I value the ability to breathe. And that's where we have to start with God's word. Where would we be without it? We have to ask that question of ourselves. Where would we be without the word of God? A very scary place is the answer to that. So we have to value it. And I'm hoping by teaching you how to study the Bible, that also impresses the idea of how valuable it is, that you get confidence to go to it and to get your spiritual sustenance. But I need you to remember that today, if we don't value the Word of God, then learning how to study the Bible doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. And I can't impart to you the value. You have to gain that yourself by looking at God, looking at Jesus Christ, and realizing the messages that he has for us are incredibly important. But let's look again at 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, and reflect again on what what the message there is in the Scripture. It says, All Scripture... The Bible, the Word of God, is breathed out by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, you take Scripture away, what do you take away? God's words. You don't know God's words. You don't know God's will. You don't know God's mind. You take the Word of God away, and you don't have the profitable things. You don't have teaching, reproof. Correction. You don't get trained in righteousness. Do you see how important the Word of God is? You aren't equipped for every good work if we don't know how to study the Bible. And I'm a privileged person because I'm able to lay before you the Word of God each and every week. Which, going back to the old adage, it's like I'm giving you fish each and every week. But I would much rather you get trained on how to study the Bible. Because that means you can eat every single day of your life. And that's really important. So principle number one, just like Pastor Mel talked about two weeks ago, is highly valuing the Word of God. We have to start there. And I need you to consider how valuable God's Word is for your life, is for your soul. Number two, goes along with it, is discipline yourself to make God's Word, the study of God's Word, top priority. And I know we would all agree with that. That sounds like a cliche. Of course it's top priority. Of course it's really important. Of course we should discipline ourselves to study the Word of God. But I think, and I'm going to take a stab here, that I think the Word of God is the most devalued it's ever been. I think we have so many fillers today in our lives that the Word of God just kind of gets pushed out. Because I've looked this up before, this short attention span that we have today is a real thing. At least it is with college students again. They say you have about 8 to 10 minutes to say what you want to say to college students before they turn you off. Well, today we need to understand how important it is to discipline ourselves to study the Word of God, to turn things off. 
that would be distractions. To get alone with God and to say to God, God, you have my full attention. Whatever you need to say to me today, I'm here and I'm going to listen. So along with that, I, I'm going to say this, we need to find or create a consistent environment in which we can focus on God and what he wants to say to us. And like I mentioned before, there was a time that Janine and I were married and we didn't have children. And you know what was special about that time? We had flexibility when and how to study the Bible. We did it together. We did it on our own, sometimes in the morning, sometimes at night. It was beautiful. But then the kids came. And the kids took away that luxury. And so you know what we had to do at that point, after much turmoil? We had to create or find a, a situation where we could consistently have time with the Lord each and every day. And that's a challenge. It's a challenge now with five children is to find and discipline ourselves to get alone with God. But it's worth it. And we need to remember that not studying God's word is equivalent, as John 6 has taught us, to not eating. If we don't study the word of God, we are starving our souls. Only worse. Because eating deals with earthly life. And eating spiritually deals with eternal life. We don't want to starve, do we? We don't want to be malnourished from God's word. We have to discipline ourselves to get into the word of God each and every day. And I'm going to say this as well. If the word of God has rivals in our life, in our life, I think we're in danger. I think we're in danger of starving. If God's word is consistently, regularly pushed out of our life because of anything and everything else, I think we're starving. I don't think one sermon per week was God's intent for us to grow, was it? This is helpful, but this should be a supplement for what you're already doing in your own time with the Lord. And so that's the second principle we have today, is discipline yourself. And that's something that only you can do for you. I can get very legalistic and start saying, this is what it should look like, this is how much time, this is when you should do it. That's not up to me. But it is up to you to say to the Lord, this is important, God. And I'm going to make the time or create an environment when I can get before you and turn things off and focus on what you want to say to me. This is incredibly important. So that's the number two uh, principle we have for you is discipline yourself. Number three, which may seem obvious, but I'm going to say it anyways, is pray over it. Pray over the Word of God. Because we need the Holy Spirit's help to study the Word of God properly. Don't we? You guys know what it's like to have a digital assistant, right? Siri, Google, Alexa. We have, we have even robots we're asking for assistance from today. <laughs> Siri, what's the weather like in Wichita, Kansas? Thank you, Siri. Google, how do I change the oil in my car? Alexa, what are the lyrics to Ice Ice Baby? We are asking digital assistants, robots, for help with life. When we go to the Word of God, we need to pray over it. We need to be able to say to God, God, I'm doing something that I need your help with. Please help me. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be drawn out. It doesn't have to be a certain amount of words. But we do need to prove to God we're here to learn. He's the teacher. And we're the pupil, and we want him to teach us. We want him to open our minds, remove distractions, keep us focused and disciplined. And for that to happen, we should pray over it. We should seek God's face before, during, and after the study of the Scripture. Ask the Lord to soften our hearts, open our mind to the truth beforehand. Because 
we also have a foe, don't we? And he is basically trying to disrupt everything and anything he can in our lives that would be good. So we have an honorable thing here. We want to study the Bible. We get before the scripture. We open it up. We read. He's there a lot of times. The devil is there trying to pervert what we're reading. So we're reading the words. I can read the words today. I, can, I don't think I'd mess up a lot. But what happens is the, he perverts the meaning. He perverts the understanding. He perverts the focus. And so what happens is we get a crooked understanding of Scripture. And when you get a crooked understanding of Scripture, you know what follows? Crooked living. Crooked living. And I know this because I've done it myself. That I've, I've not sought God's help for studying the Bible. And I've come to what I thought was the right conclusion or interpretation, only to find out I was walking after something that wasn't true. So we should pray over. That's, that's uh, principle number three. Number four is do not be intimidated. Do not be intimidated by the word of God. Don't overcomplicate the study of God's word. Because God desires to help those that want help. If you prove to God by disciplining yourself and valuing the word of God and praying over it, God, I want to know your word. You should have confidence that he's going to help you. He's going to show you the way. And I think one of the reasons people stop from the study of God's word is we, we're intimidated by it. We don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to interpret it. So we stay away from it. Or we let someone else do the work for us, chew it up for us like a baby bird, and give us our nourishment. But we need to have confidence to go before the word of God because I think most of the word of God is written for simpletons. I really do. I think it's what you would call low-hanging fruit. You go up to the tree, there's an apple, you grab it, and you eat it. Most of the word of God, I would say, is that way. It's written for children and for simpletons. It's written from the surface and face value. Yes, the word of God is deep. It's complex. But most of the truth that you need to live by is what I would call low-hanging fruit. It's right there for the taking. And so sometimes when we overcomplicate the word of God going, I'm not a scholar. How am I supposed to study this and learn this on my own? I'm going to turn on John MacArthur. I'm going to let him do it. But we can because we have something called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was given to us by God as a divine helper. When we go to before Scripture, that Holy Spirit does the work in our minds and our hearts to show and teach us truth. And that's a, isn't that a great thing? Isn't that a great blessing God gave us? That he's going to help us every single time we open God's treasure map. And the Word of God is a treasure map. I've learned that from Colossians, and I hope you did too. That the Word of God is a treasure map. And that's another reason to not be intimidated. Go get the treasure. Go get it. It's waiting there for you today. Go open the treasure map, and God's going to help you secure that treasure. And I think the only thing we should actually fear is not being in Scripture. The only time we should be intimidated is when we're not near the Word of God. And the devil is trying to flip that as if to say, it's too hard, it's too difficult, it's too frustrating. Do the easy things. Just go to, go to your pastor. Let him teach you once a week. That's plenty. And he's trying, to, he's trying to flip it because God's word should be home to us. It should be like going home. Sitting before the feet of Christ should be the most comfortable, peaceful, secure place to be. And that's what the word of God should be. And I want it to be that way for you. Don't overcomplicate the word of God. Go before it, pray over it, and say to the Lord, Lord, 
I'm your vessel. Teach me what you want me to know. Because the Lord is trying to give us eternal riches, isn't he? Through the word of God, he's trying to secure eternal riches for us. And so the word of God should be the best thing you do each and every day. The next uh, principle for us is be humble. Be humble about the scriptures because pride makes nobody mature. If you go to the scriptures thinking you already know it, there's nothing new to learn, then you're probably not going to learn. (laughs) Assuming that we know the truth already means we're already starting crooked. We need to remember that we are God's students. We are his pupils. We are his children. He is the potter and we are the clay. We need to go to God's word and say, God, do what you need to do. Make me what you want me to be. I'm not an expert at this, Lord. I'm a student. I'm a person journeying on. I make mistakes. I'm a sinner by nature. I need your help. Humility will go a long way in learning the scriptures properly. Because when God sees a sensitive, humble heart, that's the kind of person he's looking for. But the people like the Pharisees that we see in the scriptures all the time were people that were scholars. And they thought they knew the word of God. And every time Jesus came trying to teach these people something, they're like, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. We're the learned ones. We're the ones that really have the right understanding. So you guess what? They didn't learn. The Pharisees refused to learn because they refused to put their pride away. And the simpletons, the ones who said, I'm humble. I don't know. I'm not an expert. I'm not a scholar. Lord, teach me. Guess what happened? They became scholars. They became mature. They became learned. And so we need to understand we need God to teach us. And that without the word of God, and I've mentioned this before, it's like walking into a pitch dark room and not turning the light on. And trying to navigate through that room, trying not to step on toys like on our house sometimes, and bumping your knee and your head into things, turn the light on and things will go a lot better. And some of the humility with the word of God is simply saying to God, I need this, I need it. I think I know, I've, I've grown up in Christianity, but I need this, Lord, and I need you to teach me. I need the light today. How can I go without light in my day? How can I live and navigate properly in the Christian life Without God's light, it's impossible. So number five is we need to be humble. We need to be able to say to God, your will is the best thing imaginable. Please grant it to me. And he will. He will. And again, that that should give us confidence and remove the intimidation from the scriptures. Number six is put all presuppositions aside. Before you go to scripture, put the presuppositions aside. This goes along with the humility thing. A presupposition is something that's assumed beforehand. You ever done that with God's word? You go to a passage that you're familiar with and you go, I know what this means. Or I've learned a sermon. I read a sermon on this. I read a devotional on this. I'm just going to breeze over this part. Instead of going, wait a minute, what does this actually mean? Lord, teach me what you want me to know. We need to let God speak to us without a filter. When we come to God's word, we need to put all presuppositions aside and be blank canvases and say to the Lord, Lord, give me what I need. And he will because God's word, just by saying this, God's word is the most important thing. It trumps all commentaries, all devotionals, all theologies and schools of thought, even all podcasts. The word of God is the best thing for you. 
And so by supplementing this and saying, you know what, I don't need scripture. I'm going to listen to sermons. I'm going to listen to devotionals. I'm just going to hear little bits and pieces of the word of God throughout my week. I think that's doing the word of God a disservice. I think we need to put God's presuppositions aside and say to the Lord, I need you to teach me without a filter, Lord. Teach me. Don't let me go crooked. Don't let me listen to the common opinions of the day. I need to know what you want me to know. And that's a really humble thing to say to God because there's no shortcut for the study of God's word. There really isn't. It takes discipline. It takes focus. It takes humility. And when God sees that, he's going to give us what we came for. He's going to give us treasure. I brought up the parenting thing before I started this lesson. You know what would have been good for me as a new parent? To ask questions of those who had been before me. What does it look like to be a parent? What are things I'm going I'm to fall into? Help me with this first season of life as a parent. What kinds of things should I be ready for? That would have been a good question to ask, but I didn't because I thought I was ready. And so I had presuppositions as a parent that if I would have put those inside and said, teach me, show me the way, show me things to watch out for, I think it would have come a lot easier for me. And I think if we depend too much upon man's opinions to tell us what God's word says, I think we're playing another dangerous game. Because I've done this, and I want to tell you this is something I've done before. Is I've learned the word of God from a man then I went to the Word of God, and it had to say what the man already taught me. Do you see the difference there? This is something that I've already learned from a man who was good, but now the Word of God had to fit into that. Instead of saying to God, God, what is it you want me to know? What does this passage mean? That's a really healthy way to study scriptures. Put the presuppositions aside. And if we want scripture to say something, I'm going to be honest, if we want this to say something... We can make it say it. We can. If we want the scripture to say something we want for our life, we're going to find a passage that lines up with that. I've seen it and I've done it. But we need to be to put the presuppositions aside and say to the Spirit of God, Spirit, you're the teacher. Show me the way. And we must never let man skew the words or the meaning of God's word. I mentioned before how most of the word of God is surface level. A lot of it is just low-hanging fruit. Sometimes when you go to scripture and Jesus seems to be saying something that is clear and a commentary or devotional says, no, that's not what he means. Be very careful. Be very careful. If what seems to be the simple meaning is right there for you, it generally is the simple meaning. Now, there are complicated passages in scripture where Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Obviously, you need to look a little deeper into that than take the surface map value of that. He also says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Well, if we were all students of the word, we'd all have one eye right now, right? We'd all be eyeless. But obviously we know that's not talking about self-mutilation. It's talking about being severe with sin. There are passages like that where you have to dive into it deeper and figure out the true meaning of it. But most of the word of God is right there for the taking. Listen, learn, and obey it. So put the presuppositions aside. Go into it like a blank canvas, and you're going to do a lot better than you would have otherwise. Because remember this, God is the one who created our minds, and God is the one who created the Word of God. He can connect the pieces, can't he? My mind was created by him, and the Word of God was created by him. He can make it work. He can make it fit. And I don't want you to be so dependent upon man. 
so dependent upon devotionals, so dependent upon commentaries, so dependent upon your pastor. I want you dependent upon the word of God and the spirit of God. Because even the things I say from the pulpit, you need to test those things. You need to make sure they line up with scripture because I am under the authority of scripture in your life. Do you know that? I am an authority figure in your life, but I'm under the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus in scripture trumps me even. So if I don't seem to line up with what the scripture is putting forward, you need to go with that instead of man. And so that's the next principle we have for us is put, put all presuppositions and misconceptions aside before you go to scripture. Number seven is watch out for common traps. Watch out for common traps. And I'm going to give you three different examples of traps that I've actually fallen into as I've studied the word of God. Things that I've actually done and fallen into. I want to warn you of these things today because, again, we do have a foe and he is trying to make us stumble. Can I give you three? And I'm trying to be very careful with my tone today because I don't want to assume any of you have done this or are doing this, okay? So if my tone seems harsh, I don't mean it that way. These are three things I'm going to lay before you that are common traps that I've fallen into and I want you to watch out for them. The number one trap that I've seen is what does this passage mean to me? And maybe there's a different way to take that. But generally, when I hear people say, what does this passage mean to me? They're trying to find their own specialized way to look at the scriptures. I think that's very dangerous. To try to find something that translates to your specific life can be a very slippery slope. You know what we need to ask instead? What is the intent? What was God's intent here? What was the author's intent here? And does that apply to me? And maybe when people ask that, maybe they don't mean it the way I'm taking it. But I've said that before. What does this passage mean to me? And then I sort of change it to fit what I'm going through and what I'm dealing with and go, oh, that's perfect. That's exactly what I wanted. And I think that's a really dangerous thing to do. And we should, when we go to the word of God, say, what is the intent of the author? What is the intent of God here? How do I take what I'm learning and apply it to my life? And I think that's a really better, that's a better way to study the word of God than, than say, what does this passage mean to me? Next, reading out of context. I'm not going to say this can never happen. I don't think I'm going to say it that extreme, but I'm going to say, be careful jumping around the word of God or randomly selecting texts. Instead of like what we do here at Wyoming Valley Church is we start from chapter one of a book and we go till the finish. That's a safer way to study the word of God because what you have to do then is you have to learn the context of what's being said. And when you learn the context, you learn the intent, you learn the themes, you learn the direction of where the author is going, and then you go, oh, that's what it means. But let me give you an example of things that I've seen, especially in the sports world and Celebrities and media use this all the time. You guys have heard the phrase, the verse Philippians 4.13, right? Can we turn there quickly? Are you guys able to flip over there with me to Philippians 4.13? Jump over there if you have your Bible in front of you. This is one I hear all the time, and it's not even necessarily from Christians. I just hear it in the media, in the sports world. Philippians 4.13 says... I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 
It's a great verse, isn't it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you took that one verse, think of how many ways you could apply that verse. How many ways? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can play sports better. I can be richer. I can be more powerful. Christ will strengthen me to do whatever I need to do. Wow, what a wonderful thing. Christ is kind of like my genie then. He's kind of like my butler. Whenever I need strength, he's just going to give me to do it, and I'll, I'll do whatever I want. That's not the context of what Paul is saying, is it? If you read Philippians 4, where is Paul? He's in prison. Paul is in prison, which was more like a dungeon back in the day, for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you read the language right before this, verse 10, he said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned, Philippians, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low in a dungeon, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you see the context there? Do you see how it might be a little bit different than what it would be in the media and in the sports world and then the prosperity we have in America? Is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me when he puts me in a situation that is difficult, that brings hunger and pain and real suffering for Christ's sake. He's going to sustain me. He's going to give me the strength to do what I need to do, to not wither and die and shrivel up but to carry on. That's what, what Paul is saying there. And I want us to be very careful with reading out of context and just taking passages that we've heard that sound delightful and applying them to any facet of our life. I'm going to give you another one, and I'm going to step on some toes here. And again, that's not my intent, because I have done this as well. And again, remember, this is me telling you, I went down this road and the bridge was out. Don't go this way. <laughs> I went off the bridge, okay? The bridge is out. Don't go this way. Number three, watch out for common traps, is injecting yourself into passages as the primary audience when you're not. Injecting yourself as, into passages as the primary audience when you were not the primary audience. Promises and warnings made to specific people groups at specific times for a specific purpose. And I'm going to give you one that's probably going to step on some toes. I am not speaking against this passage. I'm only saying be careful how you use things like this. Can we take our Bibles and go to Jeremiah 29? Jeremiah 29, 11. I'm going to guess 100% or 99% of the people have heard this verse. And I'm also going to guess it's a high percentage of people have heard this verse taken out of context. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, it's a wonderful verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. It's not a wonderful verse. It really is a wonderful verse. But do you know who it's given to? Jewish people in exile in Babylon. God is saying, I'm watching over you, my people, while you're in a really bad place who hate you, who are hurting you, who are making you suffer, I am going to prosper you. I am going to give you hope and a future. And I want you to find the confidence and the courage to go on 
while you're in exile. Now, could it apply to a bunch of other things? Yeah, it actually could. I mean, if you find yourself in turmoil in a difficult situation and God is your God, then maybe that's probably the best way to apply that verse. But you know what I never hear? Go down to verse 18. This is also spoken to the same group of people. I never hear anyone taking Jeremiah 29, 18 as their life verse. And you know why? Because listen to the language. I will pursue them with sword, famine, and pestilence, and I will make them a whore to all the kingdoms on the earth to be a curse, a terror, a hissing, and a reproach to all the nations where I have driven them. Now, why doesn't anybody take that warning and go, yeah, that's mine. That's mine. God's going to come after me with the sword, and he's going to cause a hissing, and he's going to make me, you know... I, I've never heard anybody take that warning and go, boy, that's, I really need to listen to that. You know why? Because it's meant for the people of Israel at that time. But so is Jeremiah 29, 11. And my point to you today is not to poo-poo these verses, but to say to you, be careful how you use the word of God. We have to be students of the word of God because the devil loves when we take verses like this and apply them to our comfortable American lives. And that's not the intent. The intent is for us to be what God created us to be. So if you're hurting in a dungeon for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, find strength that God is with you. If you're in exile, if you're dispersed because of God and following God, God is going to give you a hope and a future. But you need to find those promises and those warnings from Scripture, what the intent was, and find out, are you like the audience that the writer is writing to? Am I like the Israelites in Babylon? I'm probably not. Am I like Paul in a Roman dungeon? No, probably not. That doesn't mean I can't gain things from that, but I need to remember, unless I'm facing what those people are facing and acting like those people are acting, that's probably not directly for me. And that's just a common trap to watch out for. I don't mean if you have Jeremiah 29 and your 11, 11 in your home, go down and rip it off the wall. That's not my point. But be careful with the word of God. Be careful how you use it, because the word of God is meant to guide you along this path that you're on. And that's principle number six. Number seven. Number eight is don't bite off too much. How are we doing on time here? Don't bite off too much, just kind of like I did today. Don't bite off too much and don't move too quickly with the word of God. This is a common thing too. I, I've done this many times, is I want to read the Bible through in a year, which is a great thing to do, and I've done it. Read the Bible through in a year so that I can say I've read the entire Bible but have I learned the entire Bible? No, because I'm reading four chapters a day. <laughs> when you're studying the Word of God, here's a useful tip. Go slow. Be more like the tortoise than the hare. Go methodically. Learn. Take three to five to eight verses at a time and think about them. Pray over them. Read them several times in a row. And don't move too quickly because it's tempting to equate much reading with much learning. Or much obedience, isn't it? I must, have, I must be a really mature, obedient Christian because I read five chapters today. What was it about? I don't really remember. <laughs> Something about Israel and Babylon. But I don't really remember what God was talking about, but I read it. Well, that's not the point. The point is to actually make you more like Jesus. So I would say to you, don't bite off too much. I tell this to the young adults all the time. Take five verses. And you know what? Read it for an entire week digest it, meditate on it, think about it, talk about it, take notes about it, and try to figure out what this is saying to you and then try to actually apply it to your life. 
Don't move too quickly. That doesn't mean if you're, if you're grasping it that you have to pull back. No, I mean, take whatever you can grasp and whatever you can learn. But I would say usually less is more with the scriptures. Less is more. And I need to learn that as a pastor sometimes, right? Careful, Todd. You're not going to get to 28 verses today. Let's try five. The more, the better is not always the best approach with scripture. Because sometimes we can be a mile wide and an inch deep. And I want us to actually be learned disciples of Jesus Christ. So instead of just reading, we need to understand what is being said. And here's four things I want you to think about. is Learn, digest the Word of God, meditate on the Word of God, and obey the Word of God. Learn, digest, meditate, and obey. That's a really good way to study the Word of God. Number nine, take notes and ask questions along the way. Act like you're a student learning something for the first time. Take notes and ask questions. And if you're not a journaler, find some way to do that, to take notes and to ask questions. We need to remember that we're the students here. And learning is what is needed, not just checking off that we did our devotions. But what did we learn? What did God impress upon me? Here's the way I would illustrate this. If you were in a dangerous war zone, which we don't really face here in America, but if you were in a part of the world where it was a dangerous war zone and you had to get out immediately because your life was in danger, and someone gave you instructions and directions on how the best route is to get out of town, do you think you'd write that down? Do you think you'd make sure you remembered every single detail about how to get out? God is giving with us, with his word, the ways to the kingdom of God. Here are the directions to the kingdom of God. Go this specific exact way. Guys, take notes. Memorize. Write down what you're learning. We're not taking a vitamin here. We're becoming learned disciples who need to follow after Christ and so simply checking off that we did our devotions doesn't profit us anything. We don't gain points for that. We have to become disciples. We have to go the way that Christ has taught us. And the last principle I'm going to give you today is to learn the art of meditation. And I'm going to say true meditation. Not sitting on a bed of nails going home. I want you to learn the real art of meditation. Okay? Because meditation is like pondering thinking upon, meditating upon the words of God. In fact, one of, our, one of our people in our church is now doing something. Dave Simpson, back on the website, is doing these things called Thoughts to Ponder. And this past week, Dave wrote on the importance of meditation. And I thought it was a really good article that Dave wrote, that we've lost the art of meditation. And we need to learn how to pause in this life and think. We really need to do it. We really need to take what we've learned and digest it and mull it over and listen to and pray over the word of God to say, I don't want to forget this. James tells us that in James chapter 1. What good is it if you're a hearer of the word but not a doer? It's like you look at yourself in a mirror and find things you need to change and then you walk away and forget what those things were. Well, we need to learn the art of meditation. The art of meditation will help us obey. It will help us think. It will help us take the word of God and actually turn it into things we can walk with instead of just going, oh, great, I read again, so I'm done. Does anyone like a complex plot in a movie or a book? 
Anyone like a good complex plot? Some people probably don't. I do and I don't. It depends on my mood. But sometimes I like a complex plot. I like something I have to really mull over when I'm watching a movie. You know, there's a couple movies I really like that have complex plots. The first time I watched it, I thought I knew what it was going for, and then the second time I watched it, I got something completely different. Well, the Word of God is that way. Sometimes it's simple and sometimes it's deep and complex. And the more you mull it over, the more you meditate on it, the more you're going to get out of it. It's kind of like wringing a washcloth out. Keep wringing. Keep squeezing. Get as much as you can out of that. Meditate upon the Word of God and we will turn ourselves from casual readers into mature disciples. And that is the point. Those are the ten principles I have for you. We are running out of time, but I want to lay before you, at least on the other side of your bulletin, your notes, is a template that I came up with. It is not the law. It doesn't have to be this template. This is a template I've given you to help you study the Bible. And I'm going to run through these questions very quickly. This template, when you're actually studying the Bible and you've, you've humbled yourself and you've valued the Word of God and you've prayed over it, this is a great way to get the scripture into your mind is ask questions like number one who is the author and who is the audience who's writing what are they writing to who are they writing to and what was the intent get the context of the scripture before you learn the scripture that's question number one number two is similar is there is, is there any useful background that would be helpful to know <coughs> because this helps us figure out the author's intent if you read Philippians and go, Rome, okay, Paul is in a Roman prison writing to a church in Philippi that stood with him with the gospel, and because they did so, they suffered too. Okay, now I understand where Paul is coming from. That's a good thing to know because you find the context, and once you have the context, you can really gain what is being said. Question number three is, what questions do I have while reading this? I told you to take notes and ask questions. As you go through the scripture, take notes, ask questions, think about those questions, take it to someone you trust, open up a commentary if you can't figure it out, and figure out the answers to what is asked, actually being asked there. Number four is this, does this teach me anything about God and the Lord Jesus Christ? We need to remember that Christ is the object of the word of God, and he's the purpose of all scripture. What does this passage teach me about the Lord? That's a really good exercise to have. And we're going to look at a book next week. We're going to dive into a brand new book, and we're going to learn a lot of things about God and the Lord Jesus Christ in the very first part of that chapter. Next question kind of goes along with that, but this one's more directed at us, is what is there that applies to all Christians? All Christians, like general things that would apply to every single Christian. In other words, what does the Lord desire to give us from this passage? What does he want us to gain? What does he want us to apply that applies to every single person who is of Christ? Moving quickly, number six is what seems to be the author's intent of the passage. I told you that before. Not what does it mean to me, but what is the intent of this passage? What is the main thrust and what do I need to learn? Number seven, is there anything to be obeyed and practiced? Because bearing fruit is what God desires. Becoming like Jesus is what God desires. What is there that I need to be that needs to be practiced and obeyed in my life? Number eight. Here's another one. Are there any promises or warnings to take note of? What is the weight or the vital nature of what we're learning? Did what you just learn, is it really important for you to remember? 
Is it a promise to you? Is it a warning to you? Take what you've learned and then think about the weight of what was just said. And is there any promises or warnings to take note of? And we're actually going to take this template, I think, next week and use this template to study our new book, whatever book that's going to be. So we're actually going to take this template next week and seek if we can get as much as we can out of this. So number nine, moving quickly. Does this reveal to me anything I need to change or work on? I would say get personal with the Word of God. Get very personal. God speaks to us personally and directly. Although we've read Colossians, that was to a church in Colossae. And although we read to 1 John, that was to a bunch of other Christians. That Word of God speaks to us directly. It does. Even though there's an author and an audience and an intent, God is still speaking to you and I directly through the Word of God. In fact, that's how he speaks. If you want to listen to God, you have to open up your word and you have to get personal. Something my mom has taught me when reading the Psalms, put your name in there. When it says you, put your name in there. Make it very personal and you will start to understand God is speaking to me. That's a really good thing to do. And then number, two, I think that's the last one, but we have one more that's not on the, on the top nine is, I think the really most important one after we've studied the Word of God is make a plan of obedience. Make a plan of obedience. I've said this before, but we need to go on the offense. We need to not stop short of obedience because if we stop short of obedience, the entire process doesn't mean anything. If we learn, if we understand, if we close the Scripture and we don't obey it, it's as if we did nothing. So we need to be very offensive-minded with the Word of God because no one ever fell backwards into obedience. It's sought, it's striven for, it's taken hold of. If God has laid something before you with the Word of God, and I hope we do this every Sunday, when God speaks to us through the Word of God, is going, what now? What now, Lord? You've taught me, you've trained me. This keeps falling off my ear. You've taught me and trained me. What is it you want me to practice, Lord? And then make a plan. Have someone you talk about it with. Write it on the walls and the doors of your house. Put it somewhere you'll remember. Think about it and strive to obey it. Because that's the entire point of this entire series, is how to obey the Word of God. Therefore, we need to know how to study the Bible. I hope that's been uh, helpful to you. I know that there's much more we could say, but I don't want to labor on and on. If you have anything you want to talk about and, and, and questions you might have, please come talk to me or Pastor Mel. We would love to show you more about how you can understand this. But I would just say it's very simple. Get into Scripture. Get into it. That's the application from everything that is being said. Get into Scripture and you will get everything you need to get. It doesn't have to be quantity, but it does have to be quality. We are here to be conformed into the image of Jesus. And the scriptures will do the work if we stay in them and strive to obey them. God will do what is necessary for us to become disciples of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this lesson. I hope this information was helpful. It had a different feel today, but Father, we need to have confidence to come before you. You're our God and you're our Lord and you are our Father. And there are many things you want to teach us and train us in. And even the Lord Jesus Christ had to learn when he was on earth how to sit before you and learn from the scriptures. And that's a testament to us. 
we are much more in need than Christ is of learning the things of God. And I pray that we would all gain the confidence and the courage and the discipline to do this more and better. We would all become a stronger church because we are sitting by the feet of Jesus. Thank you for this opportunity to study this today. Bless us as we go. Help us to become learned and obedient students of you. For Christ's sake, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.